So let me pause and say we call this two-part series Taking Away to Establish, showing us how God works. So in Hebrews 10 verse 9, He's taking away the old covenant, the first covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and establishing a new covenant with Jesus, and He calls it a better covenant. He takes away the old to establish the new. That's a principle you need to hold on to, particularly if something has been lost or you're going through a dark season right now. In the book of Genesis, we saw this pattern show up as God dealt with His creation. And it says in Genesis 1, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And that pattern occurred for six consecutive days. It does not say, and the evening and the morning was a particular day on the seventh day because God chose to rest. So when God deals with you in a new way, it always begins with a night, with a darkness, with a taking away. In fact, Orthodox Jewish people celebrate the beginning of their day at night, 6.01 p.m. on Friday, Friday night, would be their celebration of Sabbath, Saturday, ending at 6.01 p.m. the next night. So their new day begins at night because they picked it up from Genesis 1 as to how God deals with His creation, and the evening and the morning, and the evening. And it's amazing how many people, particularly even in ministry, have never even noticed that, ever. So my day begins at sunup. God's new day begins sundown. Yeah, when the lights go out, it's not the end. It's not over. It's the announcement of a new beginning that's going to be better if you can handle it. So first there's an evening, then there's a morning. It's just the opposite of my carnal mind. Because I said my days begin at sunup. God's days begin at sundown. So what appears to me or you to be the end of something is actually God's beginning of something new in your life. Some of you are facing situations that look like the end, devastation. But if you are following Jesus in any measure at all, God's going to walk you through some dealings that start with a taking away, with an evening. But understand that evening also includes a morning. Morning will come. That is a guarantee. Now, you're going to find God cycling your life in this pattern. When things go dark for the Christian, you can rejoice, and you have to do it by faith because it sure isn't pleasant. Rejoice because it's proof God's taking you into some new dealing. He takes away that He may establish something better. And the key word is better. Now, just as God ordained those six days of creation, every day of creation moved to a higher order. He started off with light, then the earth, then the moon and stars, then animal life, and finally on the sixth day, He created man. So God did not rest until He brought forth His image and His likeness in the earth, which was mankind. God did not rest in His creation until He saw His own image and likeness in the earth. And when he saw that, he rested. Now, in Luke 5, we looked last week about an old wineskin and a new wineskin. Jesus was telling the disciples, you're going to fast in a day to come when the bridegroom, that's Jesus, was going to be taken away from you. In other words, darkness is going to come. Evening is going to come. Taking away is going to come. And that did happen when Jesus was taken away from them in the crucifixion, in death. 
Now, how do you reckon they must have felt? They get to walk with the Son of God, the creator of all life and every living thing. They've seen phenomenal miracles, demons cast out. This guy can just do anything. And now he says, I'm going to leave. Whoa, I wouldn't be feeling real good about it. They haven't read this part of the Bible because they haven't lived it yet. It hadn't happened. So you can imagine for them, they felt like, well, boys, this show is over. You know, it's been a good run, but the rodeo's over. But in John 16, here's what Jesus said. If I don't go away, the comforter will not come. He said, it is better that I go away than the Holy Spirit can come. Remember, when Jesus was on the earth, if he's at your house, he can't be at my house. Is this an open book? Is this too hard? He's in one place at one time in a human body, the God-man. So if he's at my house, he's not. It's your, you don't need to look in the Greek and the Hebrew. That's just obvious. But if he goes away and sends the Holy Spirit, now the Spirit of Jesus can be in every believer all over the world at the same time. Everywhere. It won't. So you can see it is better. I live in a better generation, in a better age than the disciples did, than the Old Testament saints did. It's a heck of a lot better today. All right. All right. Why did Jesus have to wait till after the resurrection to send his spirit? Because the spirit of the resurrected son is the spirit that was going to be sent, not the spirit of a suffering Messiah, but the spirit of a glorified Christ. God did not send Christ to indwell his people until he went through death, resurrection, and glorification. So you and I, who are believers, I've got the spirit of a glorified Christ in my life today. Not a suffering Jesus, a glorified, victorious, reigning Messiah. There, I've got clout. I'm sorry. I don't care what Washington does. I don't care what economics happen. I've got power, influence, and I've got some authority through Jesus. He said I did. And if the reigning Messiah can turn everything upside down and his spirit lives in me, Jesus said, greater works than these shall you do because I'm going to my father. It's about time you shook off this thumb sucking. Oh, oh, I'm so afraid. God's not afraid. He's not afraid of the election. He's not afraid of your, your aunt or your, your controlling uh, stepfather or whatever it may be. He's got the world in his hand. He controls times and seasons. He puts up one king. He pulls down another. Everything's under his control. Stop crying. Quit getting into this. You watch too much news. I mean, seriously. Check it once a day and quit. It'll have you more confused than a termite in a yo-yo. You won't know which, which way is up. Okay. That must be somewhere in the Greek language. I don't know. I'm sure. So, so what appeared to be awful when they took Jesus away turned out to be fantastic, great. So Jesus said, unless the old wine skin gets removed, I can't pour out new wine, which was the Holy Spirit in this case. In other words, when God wants to do something new, what you have that got you to this level won't get you to the next level. You're going to have to change. What Maybe you've been married 20 years, okay, and maybe it's been okay, but what got you to this level won't get you to the next level. If you're running a business, if you're, if, if, if you're in your life and your productivity is up to this point, what got you here won't get you where you 
your potential would, will allow you to go until there are some changes. There'll be some taking away, some things that are holding you back, limiting you. Could be people, could be some habit, could be some addiction, could be some wrong thinking, and God wants to renew our minds to, t- to transform us. I don't know about you, but I may, since I gave my life to Jesus a long time ago, I made a lot of changes. I even found out I was wrong on a bunch of stuff. Have you ever, have you ever done that? I've never heard a preacher get up and say, I really was wrong. I'm going to burn those CDs or those tapes from 20 or 30 years ago because I can't believe I actually said that. Some of you need to do the same thing. You need to burn it up in your mind because it's wrong. Absolutely. Okay. Then Jesus says, the problem I've got with you guys is no man having drunk old wine desires the new, for he is always going to say the old is better. Now, is that us or not? We don't want to change. We, we want to find a comfort zone and stay there. We want to set our spiritual thermometer on 72 degrees and leave it there. But God says, nope, not going to happen. I'm going to bring you new wine. I'm going to shake everything that can be shaken so that that which cannot be shaken is the only thing that remains. Whole lot of shaking going on. That was way before Jerry Lee Lewis. All right. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35 and 6. Paul's writing. But some will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come forth? O foolish ones, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. How many people want a resurrection? Well, when you get to be my age, you get to thinking that's a good idea, right? Well, but I'm foolish to think I can have a resurrection until there's a death. You can't have a morning without an evening. You can't have a new without an old. You can't have a latter without a former. Now, verse 42 through 45, he says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, that's true, but it's raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in honor. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, that's Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. Okay, now a little quiz. How many see two Adams in that verse I just read? A first Adam and a last Adam. This open book quiz, folks, you can check it out. It's right there. Not a a second Adam, a last Adam. There are only two federal heads of the human race. First Adam, the old man. Christ, the last Adam. The new man, the second man. If there's a second Adam, Adam, then there can be a third and a fourth and a fifth federal heads of the human race. But there are only two federal heads of the human race, Adam and last Adam. Adam, the old man, Christ, the last Adam, the second man, the new man. And God wants to get me out of Adam into Christ, okay? Now, verse verse 47, the first man, that's old Adam, He was made from the earth. We know that. Made of dust, which is why when you decompose, you go back to dust. The second, some of you are already flaking a little bit. It's like the little boy that told his mama, Mama, quick, there's a man under my bed, but I don't know whether he's coming or going. It's dust, you know, it's dirt. All right. Okay, that wasn't so good. All right, but you get the point. But the second man is the Lord from heaven. 
So how many know Jesus was not numerically the second man? There were millions of people between first Adam and the birth of Jesus. So why would the Bible call him the second man? Because the Bible considers all men born naturally to be in Adam. Adam carried the whole human race, the seed of the whole human race in his body. This is not hard, folks. He's the first living human created. And then the female is created. And their progeny starts being birthed. But when Adam had all of the seed of the human race in him, I don't care if you're African, Italian, Caucasian, Latino, I don't care what you are, you were in Adam. I love the book and the movie On Roots by Alex Haley. But if you really want to find your roots, you're going all the way back to Adam. All the way back to the beginning where it all started. And when he sinned, he took the whole human race into sin. Because of one man and one man's sin, all die. But in Christ, all shall be made alive. God's got to get me out of Adam into Christ. And some people honor their race above their new birth. See, I get into first Adam through a physical birth. That gives me my race, my nationality, my gender, all through the flesh. And then God, then after you're jacked up on that, he says, in Adam, all die. Well, goody, goody. But in Christ, all are made alive. So I got to get out of this old man and into the new man. Now, just as I was born physically in the first Adam, the flesh, I've got to be birthed into the last Adam, the new man, Christ, and it's a birth, only it's a spiritual birth. So he, the, the first Adam produced all the races. The last Adam, Jesus, produced one new man, neither male nor female, neither Jew nor Gentile, neither Hispanic, Latino, African, Italian, or whatever you are. So you lose racial identity in Christ. You, you are a spiritual family, and therefore we check our race and nationality at the door because you got that out of a physical birth which cursed you. I am now a spiritual new being in Christ, and I don't relate to you on the basis of race or nationality, which caused more trouble even in the New Testament. You got that right-wing uh, Bud Light beer cans gun rack in the back of his pickup, Peter. He wants to kill everybody not Jewish. He doesn't want the Gentiles to get anything from Jesus. And, and even Paul has to rebuke him three times because he's wrong. And he says, what God made clean, shut up. Don't you dare call unclean. And so the Gentiles, that's us, we got to get in this new man, this last Adam, Jesus, through a new birth, through Jesus Christ. And there is no racial identity. Churches that build a church on race are wrong. You are wrong. And it goes on consistently. And that's true for preachers who do it and won't, well, I go to a multiracial church. Why would I have to even say that? It should just be the norm. Well, I found a good church. I like it. Got a good spirit. It relates to me. Lots of folks like me in there. It's just normal. We'll go there. But it ought not to be something you have to put in your resume to say we're multiracial when, in fact, every church should be multiracial because we are one race in Christ. I'm not ashamed of where I came from or I'm ashamed of some people in my background, but I'm not ashamed of who I am and where I was born. But the highest, the highest loyalty in my life is not to a race or a nationality. It's to the kingdom of God, the Lord Jesus, and my redeemed brothers and sisters. 
We're turning Christianity into nationalism. Wrong. Boy, wrong. Okay. Now, sorry for preaching. All right. Well, I got a license, though. I did have one. My, bike, my wallet's somewhere else over here. I don't know where. I think my wife must have it. She threatened to leave if I got off course here and take my money with me. So God considers everybody in Adam as one man. And Jesus, the second man, everybody that comes to Jesus, he sees them in Christ. Because God sees all men in first Adam or the last Adam. So God only sees two men in the whole earth. You're either in Adam or in Christ. I don't care what your nationality is. I don't care what your race is. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. In Adam, I don't care if you give to Lottie Moon, to Charity, United Way. I don't care if you don't smoke, hadn't been drunk, and commit adultery. If you're not in Christ, in Adam, all die. You're judged. See, you're lost. So God wants to get you born again in Christ. It's not a merit badge. You haven't achieved it. It's grace. It's just mercy. I choose Jesus and grace and mercy. If I get justice, I'm dead. I'm finished. And so are you. (laughs) Quit looking at me strange up in the balcony up there. I don't see anybody glowing in the dark. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem that night, that population of the earth doubled. Up to that point, God saw one man in the whole earth from Adam. That was God's point of view. It was Adam and all of his descendants. Adam was the first, the head of a rebellious race. And God said, I see them all as one man. And by the way, let me pause. You know, the Bible says we all go astray from our mother's womb. How many of you ever had to give a seminar to your little kid about how to lie, cheat, deceive, steal? They go astray from the womb. It's part of their nature. Where'd we get that? From Adam. Adam carried us into sin, so we, all of us have some tendencies, not as bad as some others, but they're there, and we got them from Adam, all right? They, anybody got kids? I never, had a, I never said, now, we're going to have a four-week seminar on how to lie, okay, kids? <laughs> they lie in the baby bed. I think he's wet. No, he's lying. He just wants you to come in there. Come get him. He's not wet, not hungry. He, he says, I got, her by, I got her hooked on this. I'm going to cry. She'll be in here in less than three minutes. It'll, I got this thing working for me. That's that old sin nature. We're all born with it, see? So God sees everybody from Adam as one man. But now there's a second man. And he's not the second Adam. He's the second man. He's the last Adam they'll ever be. And all judgment and all punishment and all shame and all guilt was laid on Jesus, the last Adam. He was judged for me. I'm guilty, but he took my judgment. And so just as I was in Adam when he sinned, the one born yet, Jesus counts me as being in Christ when all judgment was laid on him on the cross and then raised from the dead. All the benefits of his life are are merited to me through faith in Jesus because he accounts me as being in Christ when he was judged. So I've already been judged. I'm not worried about judgment. Don't ever say to your children when something bad happens, God's judging you, Billy. He is not judging you. That's the consequences of a bad choice. Daddy will judge you for breaking that window, but God's not judging you. (laughs) That makes sense? Judgment would be eternal uh, loss from, from Jesus himself. So Adam speaks of a brand new race, and God sees all men either in first Adam or last Adam. So there's two men on the earth today. Adam and all of his descendants, Christ 
and all his descendants. So you are either born of the flesh in Adam or you're born of God in Christ. But before you can be in the last Adam, you have to come out of the first Adam. Before you can have uh, light, you've got to have darkness. Before you can have resurrection, you have to have death. Before you can have a new wineskin, you have to be involved in an old wineskin. That's God's pattern for dealing with His creation. Now, verse 46, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. However, the spiritual, that's not first, the natural. Afterward, the spiritual. So, first the natural, then the spiritual. And that'll help you realize how God deals with His creation. First evening, then morning. First He takes away, then He establishes something better. First the old, then comes the new. First Adam, a living soul. Last Adam, a life-giving spirit. First the natural, then that which is spiritual. Now verse 47 and 48. The first man, that's Adam, he was made from the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man or spiritual man, so also are those who are spiritual. So there are only two kinds of people on earth. Those of first Adam, who are earthly, fleshly, carnal. Then there are those of last Adam, and they are spiritual beings. Verse 49, as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's Adam, we shall bear the image of the spiritual man, that's Christ Jesus. In other words, I should have His DNA working in my life. That means there shouldn't be any racism in me, bigotry in me, uh, patronizing in me, arrogance, rebellion, and pride in me. That's not part of God's DNA. Stinginess and hoarding. No, generosity would be a DNA of that. Loving your neighbor, doing good to those who are not good. Uh, you know, if we just did half of what Jesus said, we'd probably have world-shaking revival. I, I mean, if you just did half, we'd glow in the dark. Just what He said. Okay. But when we're talking about negative things like evening or darkness or death, in God, they are never negative, but they are part of God's dealings. He works everything for good to those that are called according to His purpose. It's not good, but He works it for your good and His glory. Okay, I remind myself, it's not good. Everything's happened to me is not good, but God has the power to make it work for my good and His glory. You got to get a bigger view of God. You got a bigger view of the media and, and stuff in the, in the culture than you do of God. God outranks all of it. If He hiccups, we're finished. I mean, He holds everything under His power. And you can't do away with these things because he called you out of the second to come to pass, works out of the, uh, uh, the second through the first. You can't come directly into the last Adam. You've got to come through first Adam. There are denominations that don't read the Old Testament, but you can't have a New Testament without the Old. God's pattern is evening and morning. Everybody wants a morning, but you can't have a morning without an evening. You can't have life without death. You can't bear the image of the spiritual until you're born the image of the earthly. Nobody comes directly into last Adam. You've got to come in through first Adam, which is why God, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And he's a teacher of the Jews. And God says, look, I know you're Jewish by birth or by race, but you need another birth. And, and old Nicodemus is shocked. He said, it's a spiritual birth. You don't go back in the womb. It's a new birth, a spiritual birth. So you can imagine how people are being stunned by what Jesus is talking to them about. He's upsetting everything. So God won't establish the second stage in my life without taking the first away. 
we can't escape how God deals with us. It doesn't mean I'm failing. It doesn't mean you've disappointed God. It's simply the way God works. God will rest when we come into his image and his likeness. I'm saved in one second. But transformation, that's a process. I don't know about you, but I'm still under construction. Particularly when I get on 281, I'm really under construction. I wonder if there's any hope for me at all. When I get out, the Darth Vader comes roaring out. I'm thinking, how did you get a driver's license? You, I've, bad things go through my mind, you know. They came from Adam, but I, I sort of enjoy them. Uh, I, know it's not, I know it's not right, but I allow them to at least to talk a little bit before I let the new man take over and try to get a little peace. I'm just being honest, okay. There probably is no reward for being honest, but it might help somebody. See, if you can see first the natural and then the spiritual, what will that do for your Bible? It should open it up because it's one book. See, the Old Testament is the evening, and the New Testament is the morning. So the Old Testament can become an exciting adventure into understanding everything in there that's natural depicts a spiritual truth. Now, that's important to know. The natural, let me put it this way. Some of you in your wallet, women or men, you've got a picture of your girlfriend, your wife, or your kids. You have a picture. It's not the real. It's a shadow of the real. But when you go home, how many of you would rather have the substance than the shadow? The Old Testament is the shadow, but it's not the substance. Jesus is the real. Everything that Old Testament presented was picturing, although they didn't know it, a spiritual reality that would be fulfilled in Christ. So here's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that everything that happened to Old Testament Israel was recorded as an example for us. So Old Testament Israel was the foreshadowing of a new spiritual nation, the church. Listen, they were taken out of the world, out of Egypt. How? By the power of the blood of a four-legged lamb. They were taken into water baptism in the Red Sea. We have believers' baptism. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit by the cloud that was over them. Those Old Testament people had no idea they were foreshadowing a spiritual reality that was to come to pass. I'm taken out of guilt, shame, and condemnation and judgment of this world through the blood of a two-legged lamb, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, Jesus Christ. I'm baptized in water. It is the buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. I don't know how sprinkling can be burying anything. You know, if Cindy sprinkles some dirt on my corpse, that ain't burying me. No, so the, they baptized in the river where there was much water, and Jesus allowed that to be the shadow after you're saved. It's believer's baptism. It doesn't save you, but it's burying the old man Adam. It's a spiritual circumcision raised in newness of life. And if you haven't been baptized, you should be as a believer in Christ. So God says to a generation, if it can hear, wake up. That's the old, but I'm taking that away and establishing the new covenant. Do you know that I could not wear half the clothes I've got on under the law? You couldn't mix fabrics. You couldn't mix certain foods. 
You couldn't mix cotton and rayon or nylon. I don't. They weren't even invented. But you couldn't do. You couldn't taste that. You couldn't touch that. You couldn't eat that. You couldn't drink that. You had to observe certain days. And then when Paul writes to the Galatians who have been faithful to believe in Jesus, then the old legalists came along and tried to get them back under Mosaic law. And Paul writes, have I bestowed virtue on you foolish Galatians? Who has bewitched you that you could be made righteous by what day you observe, by Sabbaths and new moons, and eat this and taste that and don't drink this? He said, that's old covenant. That's been taken away. You're not under that bondage today, but they were being pushed back into it, and a lot of that goes on in the church as well. Paul writes in Romans 14, I'm taking five or six minutes more in this service, okay, but I'm having a good time because I don't get to see you that much. But he says, you know, some people think, well, there's a Sabbath Saturday. I don't care what day you worship Jesus. He says in Romans 14, one man observes one day, another man observes another day. Let every man be fully persuaded in his heart. You can worship any day you want to. There's no law on that. We gather on the first day of the week. It's convenient, but it doesn't make me righteous. A day doesn't make me righteous. It's, well, I think we should observe the Sabbath. Well, observe it. You could do it on Wednesday or Friday or Sunday or Saturday, but you're not going to be made righteous by a day. You're made righteous by the last Adam, the second man, the Lord Jesus. He makes me righteous, not a dumb day. It's just convenience. Okay, you learning something? Just, at least it'll make you think. I hope so. So I don't know where you've been, but I guarantee it's preparation or rehearsal for where you're going. You don't know my life, Rick. I've been hurt and afflicted. Give me a break. Hello. Welcome to the human race. Like, who hasn't, you know? Quit sucking your thumb. Maybe God's training you up to know what it feels like. To know when, so that when you go out and you meet people who have been oppressed or marginalized or lost or hurting, you'll know how to respond. Because you've been there. you got a t-shirt. You can relate to those people. It is impossible to identify with anybody that's never had any pain. That's not even possible. See, that's why there is nothing in God really, really negative. It's just something God used first so he could take that away and establish what he intended to establish. Why did Jesus suffer? Tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. So we could relate to him. I can't relate to Buddha or Mohammed or Harry Krishna. So Jesus came through a womb. He suffered rejection, spit on. His own people rejected him. He has suffered every indignity that you and I have, except he never sinned. That's a big except. I suffered all that, but I sinned. <laughs> and without Jesus, I'd probably keep on doing it too. Uh, revenge would be a real good one for me. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm supposed to be sweet and nice. Uh, I'll see you at the nursing home. We'll have tea together. I'm telling you, some of you need some passion in you. You just let the devil beat you up, run over you, walk on you, condemn you, and you don't know who you are. You don't know what your rights are. You don't know what Jesus took away so he could establish something better. You are a holy priesthood, a holy nation now. The Old Testament Israel pictured a shadow of a holy nation. I'm sorry, it's not America. It's the church. It is the church. All the redeemed priesthood of those who believe in Jesus are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That is clear scripture. So, 
Proverbs, I'm almost through. Proverbs, as Elizabeth Taylor said to her ninth husband, I won't keep you long. Hang, hang with me. <laughs> hey, you got up. You got up. You had your coffee. Relax, okay? The cowboys aren't going to beat the eagles, so relax. All right. Proverbs 29, verse 18. Without a vision, people cast off restraint. They go wild. A vision brings you under discipline, under restraint. A person who envisions becoming an Olympian will bring themselves under restraint. Their diet, their training, their sleep. In other words, when I want something so badly out there, I will suffer certain indignities that I don't want to do without, but I will do without because the reward is greater than the sacrifice. So God needs to give you a vision. The law will never produce discipline. You can have a thousand laws. It won't change a heart. You've got to have a vision which now produces discipline in me and makes my flesh do what it doesn't want to do. So God wants to give us a vision for days to come. He, he gives the dream to establish you so when the night comes, you won't cast off, throw away, give up the vision. If you understand that, when you hit nighttime, you won't give up. You won't quit. David got an anointing to be king of Israel. But what happened? Nothing. Nothing. See, just because you got an anointing doesn't mean anything until God deals with it. It's a fact. Many of you have an anointing. And if the truth were known, you'd probably be mad at God saying, Hey, God, I know I have an anointing. How come I'm not promoted? Why am I not there yet? David had to go through preparation. That's where God worked character into him to handle the throne. David had three anointings before he reigned as king over all Israel, which means there are progressive anointings as God deals with you. What sustained David in the cave when Saul's out to kill him? A vision. That God said, you're going to be king and ruler of my people. Well, it wasn't happening right now, but that vision kept him going. Joseph, how was he sustained? I mean, God had told this young 17-year-old kid, you're going to rule over the nation, you're going to rule over your brothers, and then all heck breaks loose, right? What sustained him in prison? The vision. What sustained Jesus to the cross? For the joy set before him, something out in front, a vision, he endured the cross. Jesus had a picture of his people who would serve him out of their own will who would love and obey him as Lord, not because he was God, he was, but because of the grace and love that Jesus had touched their heart. He saw people on the other side of the cross. He saw the reward if he would go through this night season. See, he saw his morning, his glory out there, but he knew he couldn't get there unless he had a taking away, a night season. And it was his expectancy of the day that caused him to endure the night. And if we can catch that, no night will be too dark for any of us. Now go back to the idea we started with in Genesis. Six times, evening and morning with the first day, evening and morning with the second day, through six days, and on the seventh day God rested. No evening, no morning. Now, what was it that brought God into rest? When he saw, when he saw his image and likeness in the earth. So it's taking away to establish opening doors, closing doors. God's taken us through this evolutionary process of his dealings in the spirit, transforming us into his likeness, night and day, on and on, until God sees his image and likeness in us. So it's not the first Adam, it's the last Adam. It's not the first man, it's the second man. And that man 
is not one man. He's corporate. And when God sees his people, you know, reflecting the fullness and maturity of Christ, he says in Ephesians 4, 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And when that corporate new man comes into the image and likeness of Christ in the earth, God will take away the old and establish the new. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. There will be no more night, no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow. But until then, he's going to deal with you and me in these cycles. And the reason I'm excited about it is I'm in the right family. I'm on the winning team. And if you're for Jesus, you are too. God doesn't see me in that first race Adam anymore. He doesn't see me as a white boy from South Carolina. He sees me in Christ. And all I'm asking us to do is to embrace his word and his dealing so we'll stop being a bunch of crybabies when night comes crying for our bottle. See, whatever God's taken away is for a higher purpose. He's getting ready to establish something better. Don't lose the vision. God's producing his image and likeness in you. Amen. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.